Hello, it's Friday 27th of May. I'm Hannah Pearson. On today's show, Gary Bowerman and I will discuss the travel and tourism developments in the region during May. And we'll look ahead to the much-talked-about second half of 2022. Will it bring the hoped-for travel rebound? So let's get started. This is the Southeast Asia Travel Show. Hello, wherever you are in the world, and thanks for listening in. So, Hannah, I'm back, fresh off the plane from London this morning. I can feel the jet lag starting to kick in already. I was away for the whole of May, and it proved to be a pretty interesting month for travel in the region. Uh, We'll go through some of the latest developments during the show. A mixed bag in terms of travel volumes at this stage of the recovery, and certainly different speeds among different countries in the region. I guess that's expected, and of course, this is still very, very early days. But just looking back across the month, Hannah, What's your take on how the travel outlook has sort of evolved during May? Well, you know, it's it's a lot more positive, isn't it? We have seen um, lots of countries taking that step to further ease travel requirements. Um, and like you say, we'll, we'll talk about that country by country in a minute. But there is this feeling, you know, there's this growing momentum and things are picking up and people are hiring and there is an, an optimism in the air, I think, despite... Um, you know, Russia, Ukraine, despite inflation, people people are still feeling a little bit more positive. What do you think? Yeah, I would agree with that. I mean, certainly the, 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 the context in the media has shifted, hasn't it? It's shifted away, particularly in Southeast Asia, from travel restrictions and reopening and that kind of thing. And it's now actually talking about travel, some of the actual issues that are involved in the recovery. And you mentioned a couple of them there. Slightly different when we look at Northeast Asia, which, as we know, is such a big, important market for Southeast Asia. They're so interlinked. Um, the restrictions and the lifting of restrictions, particularly in Japan and South Korea, have been headline news in the last week or so. China, for different reasons as well. So, yeah, across Asia Pacific, it's 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 very very different picture. The landscape uh, looks so so different to what it did two years ago. But as you said, um, in Southeast Asia, we're at least now talking about the issues of travel, not when will it actually happen. Absolutely. So, shall we have a whiz through uh, some of the countries in Southeast Asia and some of the top? travel stories and developments in the month. Let's do that. And let's start the biggest country in the region, Hannah, Indonesia. What's been happening there? Well, of course, the the biggest story for Indonesia this month really is Lebaran, Hari Raya Eid, however you want to call it. Um, And, you know, this was the first Lebaran uh, for three years where people were actually able to go back home to their their hometowns, to Balik Kampung, as we say here in Malaysia. There were big, big numbers coming out from Indonesia. So Ankasapura 1, which is one of the airport operators, um, saw 1.6 million passengers, air passengers. So that's um, between the 25th of April to the 5th of May. And that was up 1,955% year on year. So a massive, massive increase. And of course, you know, we saw hotel occupancies grow during that time as well. Now, I mean, of course, Lebaran peak domestic holiday period, many public holidays. So things have calmed down a little bit on the domestic front since then. Um, But we've also seen them making moves for international tourism and removing those restrictions. And Indonesia, as we know, has been really slow at at reopening, especially if you compare it to to Thailand. But we saw the visa on arrival program expanded. And they've also removed now their pre-departure testing. So it's, it's getting there, isn't it? it? It is slowly starting to to reopen properly, I would say. Yeah, and in Bali as well, you can tell tourism's back because we're starting to get those stories again of, of foreign travellers 
misbehaving in temples, in waterfalls, in, in those kinds of things. Those, those stories made big, big headlines last month. You know, the issue of uh, sustainability is back in Bali. You know, what's going to happen there? It looks like you know, the traffic situation has got pretty bad there. Um, some areas of, the, of Bali, you know, that there is a lot of travelers coming in. Um, so, you know, those, those familiar issues that we, that we saw before the pandemic are starting to come back. Is that a good thing? Is that a bad thing? Well, you know, it's, your, your views will differ whether you're taking the money from, from those tourists or whether you're actually looking more future focused in terms of uh, sustainable recovery and meaningful tourism, those kinds of things. But uh, in terms of the actual economic input, um, yeah, tourism does look to be, uh, to, to be back in Bali, I would say. Would you agree with that? Yes, I think so. And we had this really encouraging statistic um, from the Bali chapter of um, Indonesian Hotels and Restaurants Association. And they reported that 70% of laid off employees during the pandemic have returned to work. So that in itself is is massive news um, and really signals, I think, that things are picking up and that businesses are feeling optimistic enough to start hiring again. Yeah, and for Bali, of course, it's moving into its sort of peak season, isn't it? The middle of the year tends to be a bigger period for Bali. So uh, you'd expect that the numbers will continue to rise. As you mentioned a couple of minutes ago, honey, you know, domestic tourism quite strong, particularly to Bali as well. So, so yeah, things look more optimistic in terms of numbers and in terms of the economic side of things. But, you know, it, it does look as though we're going back to some of those familiar issues that we saw two or three years ago. And a lot of that talk about travel and tourism will change. You know, Bali may be a case study of how it actually doesn't change and that perhaps we are still going back to, to the familiar and, and the same patterns of travel as before. Yeah, you, you're, so, you're so right. I think that's the, it's going to be really interesting, isn't it, in the next few months to see how that plays out because you're right, you know, we, we're seeing these headlines about badly behaved tourists and, you know, foreigner tourist bashing in the press. I mean, rightly so for some of the things that they have been doing in Bali and it, is that that you know tourists just need to be better behaved or is it that they need better education on how to behave uh, it's, it's, it's a, a, the whole issue that was like you say they're pre-pandemic and we kind of lost that conversation and now it's back in the spotlight again yeah and you wonder this time whether there might be a tipping point you know we, we've read a lot of articles about local people in in bali and how their attitudes have changed over the past two years when there weren't international travelers once they see those those foreign tourists coming back and behaving badly, I know that the the media tends to highlight a small number of cases, and they do make they, they do make headlines. But you know, they're not isolated. There are other incidents as well. Um, it will be as you say, it'll be interesting just to see how how the local uh, responses to that plays out over the over the coming months. Yes. So shall we move to a smaller country? And this this is one that we had Jason Rowland on. Um, to discuss recently. So Laos, and of course, the big news for Laos in May was the fact that it had really removed all of its restrictions. Now, in terms of results, it's still fairly limited numbers still. I think we're still talking a few thousand rather than, you know, tens of thousands. But they've they've made that step. They've taken that. They've removed things. Um, so you would hope that things are only going to get better. And, and certainly there have been more airlines announcing international flight connections as well but the downside to this of course is this fuel crisis that we also discussed with jason isn't it gary yeah the interview with jason was really interesting on many levels if you didn't listen to it i really recommend going and 
listening back to, to what Jason had to say, because he did talk in, in some detail about the challenges and the opportunities for Laos as it reopens. You know, it really is looking forward to a new era of travel and tourism, but it, it is undergoing something of an economic crisis right now, particularly, as you mentioned there, in terms of fuel prices. Uh, we, we look very closely, I guess, at Sri Lanka and what's happening there and, and how the economy has completely collapsed. And that's going to impact tourism as well. Tourism is going to impact the economy. So it's very, very circular. You know, we hope that Laos can come through this. But, you know, Laos is very, very dependent also on Chinese tourists. Um, you mentioned there, Hannah, that it is looking to, to bring in new flight routes. It takes time for those to actually have a real impact. So, you know, the optimism is there. As you said, it's reopened. It's a beautiful country. It has this new train running through the country. There are you know, opportunities for stop-offs along the way. Jason talked in some detail about, you know, the opportunities for travellers on this new real travel attraction, which is the, the, the China-Laos train. Um, but yeah, in the immediate future, the economic cloud hangs over the country, I guess. Absolutely. Um, so let's move to a country a little bit closer to home then, Malaysia. Um, so what's been happening in Malaysia, Gary, in May? Well, you can tell me because I've only just come back, Hannah. <laughs> <laughs> I know, trick question. <laughs> so, and so 1st of May um, saw testing and insurance requirements removed for international travellers. So I guess, Gary, you benefited from that. Um, when you flew back in this morning. But overall, arrivals are still a little bit slow. That's what um, tourism stakeholders are saying. Um, I think the tourism ministry said that there was something like 500,000 um, travellers have arrived so far, which, okay, is, is still a fairly decent number. But they're talking about wanting to reach back to pre-pandemic tourist levels um, in five years' time, which I think they have been um, quite heavily criticized for by many tourism stakeholders in the last week or so just saying five years that's a heck of a long time and are we even still going to be alive <laughs> then we we need support now we we need to act now to save the tourism industry and i think that's just been a theme for the last couple of years really when it when it comes to malaysia and, and supporting tourism stakeholders here yeah you're right those those uh, travel requirements i think the first podcast we did when I arrived in, in the UK at the end of April. I mentioned that I hope that by the time I came back that I wouldn't have to, to do a test on arrival. Didn't have to do that. That's fine. It was very, very simple to get back into Malaysia. I have to say I arrived this morning, um, just walked straight through. The airport, I have to say, KLA was extremely empty. We were the only, we, Our flight landed at 7.30 a.m. this morning. The next flight uh, was from Bengaluru, which arrived, I think, about 8.35 a.m., so an hour later. So that shows you just uh, you know, the frequency of flights into the airport is nowhere near what it used to be. So we were the only flight. Uh, we, we breathed straight through the airport and got out and got out very, very quickly. One of the interesting things I've been picking up on, Hannah, in the last few days is this discussion about the airline industry and the rail industry. So there, there has been talk, um, particularly for airlines like Air Asia, they have been quite cautious in bringing back um, some of their planes that have been furloughed over the past two years, simply because demand on routes is still uncertain. I think the, the regulators in Malaysia have been trying to push them much harder to, to increase frequencies to try and drive outbound and inbound demand for travel. It's kind of difficult to, 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 to really pinpoint at the moment what the demand is in Malaysia for travel. My two flights to the UK, and that's not representative at all because uh, a lot of the people on board were Malaysians, but they, they tend, it did seem that they were visiting family and friends in the UK, but both flights were absolutely full. Um, the, the flight price was was fairly high. Returning back um, this morning, uh, a lot of people on the flight were actually transiting in Malaysia, heading onwards to Sydney, to Australia. So there is a bit of transit travel, 
But, you know, generally looking around the airport this morning, I was, I was a little bit surprised at how empty it was. It's early days. We know that. Uh, and we'll, I guess we'll get a much clearer picture through the rest of the year. I don't think it's time to panic by any means. But, you know, you're looking at that five-year target and whether it's too short or too long. It's just very early to, to make those kind of predictions. I think somehow we've got to find out how you can drive demand for travel in and out of the, the country over the next coming months, which we know are going to be quite difficult economically. A lot of the media headlines in Malaysia at the moment are focusing on issues of food price rises, inflation, you know, these things that tend to dampen consumer sentiment. So, yeah, well, I guess we're just going to have to hope that people are booking holidays for the back end of the year. What, what do you think? Yeah, I think you're right. And it, it was interesting you're, you're talking about the, the airlines there because one of the big May stories that came up, and this was just after Eid, were the airlines um, coming under fire, really, from, from consumers, from the ministries, for lots of flight cancellations, for flight rescheduling. And I, I think that there is this lack of understanding still amongst the consumers. I think they feel, right, travel is back, therefore everything should automatically go back to the same levels that they were and that that same level of, um, like you say, capacity um, that they used to be. And of course there isn't. And then this mismatch of expectations causes a lot of frustration from consumers who can't understand. You know, if you're not in the industry, you're not, you really don't understand why airlines are rescheduling flights or putting you on to, uh, you know, combining flights um, at very short notice. You know, I, I think airlines need to communicate this more. This, this needs to be out in the press more, I think, about the difficulties that airlines are facing so that they have a, a slightly more sympathetic customers than, than these ones who just have no clue what, what has happened to the industry over the past couple of years. I would 100% agree with that. I think, you know, over the uh, over the past two or three months, or, or maybe even further back than that, and certainly into the next few months, you know, Singapore, Thailand, I would say now Bali, um, you know, those are kind of gaining the headlines in terms of travel volumes. Uh, you know, that's where we're probably going to see a lot of growth. But I think Malaysia and Vietnam probably will be two interesting case studies to see how they actually cope with, you know, this difficult recovery. It's not going to be an easy recovery. We have been saying this right from the start, Hannah, both you and I that this will be gradual, it will take time. Consumers have got to find their confidence levels again. You know, we're starting to see outside in the streets that people look more confident in, in shopping malls. But, you know, this inflation issue will really impact consumers who are very value-driven and very price-conscious. So, you know, there are hurdles to, to, to overcome in the next few months. But travel will come back. I don't have any doubt about that. It's just the speed and the scale that it, that it does so. Yeah, absolutely. So moving on then, we'll move to another M country. We're going kind of alphabetically, if our listeners haven't realised, um, to Myanmar. We don't cover Myanmar very often. Uh, we did have a really interesting uh, conversation with Argus Tuft uh, about a month or so ago. So go check that out. Um, but Myanmar, the big news really was that they have reopened their e-visa portal for tourists. Now, this was a slight delay. I think that they had announced that it would open on a Monday. And I think in the end, the system actually went live on the Friday. So they got there in the end. It's open. Uh, very few restrictions to get in. But the big question is, who's actually going to visit? Yeah, really, really big question. And, uh, you know, I don't think we'll find out the answers for some time. You, you referenced the, the interview we did with Argus Tuft a, a little while ago. I'd have to say I would definitely recommend listening to that because his forecast he was cautious in terms of the forecast of the pace that this would happen but he got it pretty much right looking he's very very close to to the to the travel industry there um, and his outlook for how this might actually pan out was absolutely spot on 
it's going to take time. He said that he mentioned a lot of the issues for travelers coming into the country and for airlines as well. Will airlines feel safe? Will they be driven by the demand? Will the demand be there? You know, in the last few months before the pandemic, you know, the, the big surging demand into Myanmar really was from China and the Northeast Asian countries as well. How's that going to play out? Really, really hard to say from, from this, this standpoint, I would say. So on to Philippines. And so Philippines really has just been this kind of story the last month. I mean, okay, well, the biggest story for Philippines, which is not tourism related, is, of course, their new president who's been elected. And um, I, I don't think we'll go into the politics of all of that. But, you know, for, for the Philippines, it's really been a story of rebuilding this domestic air capacity. Um, and so Cebu Pacific the low-cost air carrier um, in the Philippines, has now reported that they have reached back their domestic pre-pandemic capacity levels, um, which I find really interesting. But one of the more interesting um, stats that have kind of come out of from this is that they actually reported a bigger net loss in Q1 um, this year than Q1 in 2021. So, you know, we've had this story, right, of airlines slowly kind of narrowing their losses now that's it's it's reversing a little bit. So Cebu Pacific actually re- reported four percent higher net losses this year than last year, and the reason for that is they have more planes flying, therefore they have higher operational costs. So for airlines again, it isn't this kind of linear get more planes, make more money <laughs> um, kind of story, is it, Gary? It's a really difficult equation. I mean, I, I don't like to say we told you so, but we have been predicting this for, for many, many months that, you know, focusing only on capacity statistics really is only part of the issue. Uh, it's about driving demand. It's about getting passengers on seats. So you can fly the capacity to try and drive the demand, but you've still got to sell the seats. And as you said, Hannah, you know, these increased costs of manpower resources, uh, jet fuel prices, uh, slot requirements, all these things that have come back into play. Uh, airlines, you know, most of the airlines in the region have pretty, pretty damaged balance sheets from the past two years, probably being a little bit more, more cautious than they would in an ordinary economy. All these, as we've said before, these headwinds come coming ahead, um, Hannah. It's a difficult time, but, you know, the fact that they're actually making efforts to, to increase capacity shows that they do believe that the demand will be there. It's just, again, as we said, you know, for some of the other countries, how quickly and at what scale will it come back? Yeah, absolutely. So speaking of air capacity, we'll hop over to Singapore. And there we've seen lots of aviation stats kind of being released in May, most of them very positive. Again, so the Singapore Airlines Group in April reported that they had flown 1.45 million passengers, which is up 1,216% year on year, (laughs) but also 62% Point seven percent month on month, so you can see that growing. And you know, in terms of their capacity for passengers, and again, you know, taking capacity with a grain of salt, um, they're at fifty seven percent of their pre pandemic levels. It is 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 climbing back up, and they, I think, they were actually surprised that it's recovering a little bit faster than they had anticipated. Yeah, I mean, Singapore is certainly a case where the reopening, the phased reopening, has worked, hasn't it? You know, they they've been they. They, they reopened several months ago in a very, very phased manner. Uh, and then they sort of took the, the foot off the brake a little bit and allowed more passengers, more airlines to come in and out. And it seems to be working. It is, it is growing back. You would expect that because of Changi, because of its 
geographical location, the quality of the airport, the connectivity that it has, you know, all those factors are very, very important, but also the management as well. I think the management of the airport and the management of the reopening has been, I would say, exemplary. I think Singapore hasn't really put a foot wrong here, I don't think. And I think they will reap the benefits in the second half of the year. That's my view. What, what do you think, Hannah? Yeah, absolutely. I think they've really rebuilt the trust, not only you know, with travellers coming into Singapore, but also with the public. They really feel that the government has the situation under control. Um, in terms of that outbound pent-up travel demand, we've seen passport applications surge um, in Singapore. The government now announced they're going to be reopening Changi Terminal 2 in phases. They're going to restart work on Terminal 5. Um, so it's all systems go again for Changi. Yeah, it really is. And, you know, there's there's a real positive vibe there. People flying through the airport are, are noting this, that, you know, it seems busier, that there is much more activity. There is context, of course, Hannah, and not being too negative, but the April figure um, for arrivals, 294,000, which was the highest number of arrivals into Singapore since February 2020. We'd probably expect that. But when you look at how that compares to pre-pandemic April 2019, 1.6 million visitors. So 1.6 million visitors in 2019, 294,000 last month. But yeah, it's it's upwards. Things things are moving there. So that's positive. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so, I mean, we, we can't go a podcast without talking about Thailand, can we? <laughs> and Thailand, as always, has delivered on the news. Um, so from the 1st of May, they removed their testing requirements again. Um, and they've now announced that this Thailand Pass, which is the kind of application scheme that you have to apply to be able to enter the country, um, and have that approved, they're going to be simplifying that from the 1st of June and removing that requirement actually for Thai travellers. Although they're now promising that this um, application process, you'll be able to receive um, approval within, I think, within minutes, it's still another barrier to entry. Um, I think that the tourism trade are still campaigning against that um, they're taking you know that small step by removing it for Thai travelers and they've said you were going to assess this but it's still there it's still another barrier it's still something else for you know tourism stakeholders to <laughs> to fight against for consumers to have to think about yeah I, I would agree I mean the word simplify shows that there is still something there that <laughs> needs to be refined um, <laughs> But will it, will it have a huge impact towards the back end of the year? Who knows? I mean, you know, Thailand, it has actually attracted back travels and it will draw more travels back. This is Thailand. You know, this is the most visited country in the region. It does tourism very, very well. People love to go there. There are, you know, 100,000 reasons to visit Thailand and there always will be. It is much simpler than it was two or three months ago. I think that's, you know, that's the positive outlook. And perhaps over the second half of the year as we build towards the end of the year. Maybe Thailand will simply remove the Thailand pass. It's, it's, it's hard to second guess. But, you know, in terms of simplifying or removing right now, let's just hope that the airlines can build that capacity back into Thailand to, to, to build those numbers up. Yeah, I mean, and, and you're right, you know, Thailand has been popular. It has attracted people. So as of the 19th of May, um, they'd welcomed over 1.1 million travelers, um, which is a significant number, right? They've over, over a million travelers. Interestingly, the top markets were India, UK, Germany, the US and Russia. And this just goes to prove this point that we've been saying that, you know, the competition for the Indian market is really hotting up within the region. And they are going to be a key player when it comes to the recovery of tourism in Southeast Asia in the absence of Chinese tourists. 
Yeah, absolutely. And also, I guess, looking forward, not, not being too negative, but looking forward, if, if the, the war continues and that Russian, Russian market is very, very important, would Russian travellers come back um, next winter? It's impossible to say right now. But yeah, um, and the UK, Germany and US, you know, three, three long haul markets that are in the top five. That's, uh, that speaks volumes, I think. Absolutely. Um, so shall we move to Vietnam? And this was yet another country that removed its pre-departure testing. Um, so I think right now, and I'm willing to be wrong on this, and I, I, I think every country, with perhaps the exception of Brunei, who I don't track quite so closely, has now removed its pre-departure testing, um, which is something, right? That, that really signals, I think, that the region is you know, finally realizing that if they want to attract travelers, they have to make it simpler and they, they have to remove all of these barriers to entry. Yeah, absolutely. I would agree with that. Um, you know, Vietnam has high expectations for travel. It did, it did pre-pandemic um, and it certainly does again now. Again, it's just that case. And I don't like to keep saying the same thing. It's just the scale and the speed that the capacity comes back. You know, Vietnam has everything to offer. It markets itself very, very well. And now that it's removed the pre-departure testing, it's as open as it, you know, as it can be. Um, what do you think? Do you think we'll start to see a, a, an arrivals boost there in the second half of the year? I mean, we, we may well do, might we? I know that they, they really rely on um, East Asian markets uh, like Korea. Um, so it, it will also depend on that speed of recovery, I think, in their, their top markets um, as, as to how fast they recover. One kind of interesting statistic that wasn't really, I think, picked out so much in the press was that the Civil Aviation Authority of Vietnam in April actually reported 30, around 30,000 domestic flights, but that was actually minus 2.4% year on year. So the flights are less than last year, which I thought was kind of interesting and has not really been covered. Now, whether that is down to people preferring to you know, still drive somewhere, perhaps, rather than take a domestic flight, it could be, or are they just not traveling at all? Um, or are they saving money for an international trip later in the year? Yeah, exactly, exactly. So there's a lot of, you know, like we keep saying, things are not linear in terms of recovery all the time, especially if you're, you're looking year on year. You know, it, it, it's not that straight line upwards. No, totally agree. So let's have a quick look through some of the tourism board forecasts. This is one of our favorite sections of every show, Hannah, and we're going to start, <laughs> you know where, Thailand. What's happening in Thailand with their forecasting? Oh, we, we, we do love a bit of Thailand forecasting. Um, so the TAT have actually um, upped their forecast. You know, in, in the past few, few years that we've been uh, talking, uh, normally they downgrade their forecast right we see extremely high forecast at the beginning of year and that gets steadily downgraded and um, this is kind of the opposite they've they've now said that you know things are doing so well that they are now predicting that from june they're going to have one million travelers a month until the rest of the year and making a total of about eight million tourists now i mean to put it that in perspective 2019 arrivals was still uh, almost 40 million so 8 million <laughs> compared to 40 million is, is very little but it's interesting they they are clearly very very bullish on the future of tourism in thailand in 2022 yeah and also up, upbeat um vibes as well about the outbound market for the second half of the year particularly now that japan is starting to open up to tour groups i think japan is the number one outbound destination for thai travelers so um, people that have been saving up their money for their outbound trip, maybe later in the year, will be we're heading from Thailand to to Japan. 
Yeah, exactly. Um, so some other forecasts. Um, Cambodia um, estimates that they'll get about 1 million travellers. Maybe they will, maybe they won't. Malaysia, I think, is gunning for 2 million. Uh, we've seen that being thrown around, which is perhaps a little bit conservative if they're saying that they have already reached uh, 500,000, right? It's not that much of a stretch to um, to hit 2 million, is it? No, although perhaps you've got to look at how many of those are from Singapore visiting family and friends and that kind of thing. Um, you know, we know how how important that aspect of the market is. The inbound travel, as you said, they're going to be really looking at India, I would imagine, and, and the ASEAN countries, perhaps a few long haul markets as well. But yeah, two million does seem quite quite conservative. Vietnam, I think, is targeting five million. Um, Singapore, I'm not sure it's actually set a, a, a target for no, this year. They're it? smart. They're smart. Yeah, they're, they're not going smart. to do that. <laughs> <laughs> Yes, but they have already exceeded their 2021 arrivals already, uh, just from January to April. And, and interesting, looking at their top markets, I thought that was quite interesting. The top markets for the first four months of the year were, and I guess these are pretty predictable, India, Indonesia, Malaysia, Australia, Philippines, US, Bangladesh, UK, Vietnam, and China as well, although mm-hmm. it's, it's not clear whether those were Chinese travelers f- traveling from China or whether they were Chinese residents living in other countries. But even, even so, I mean, if you pick a top 10 market, I think, You'd expect all of those to be in there, wouldn't you, really? Yeah, I think so. Um, so, Gary, you know, you you were a month in um, in Europe. What have you observed? What can you share? What's the world like for tourism over there? Well, the interesting thing about travel and tourism in in Europe is it doesn't make as many headlines. The, the headlines that are made are the issues that the airlines are having, and those are manpower issues and capacity issues and flight price issues. So those are the things that are making headlines. You know, travel and tourism isn't as state-dominated in Europe. They open the borders and they just let the private sector get on with it pretty much. And it's busy. I, I flew through Heathrow twice. It was absolutely rammed both times. You look at the flight boards, there are, tri- there are flights particularly to European destinations, but also longer haul as well. So in uh, London, I spent time in London, I spent time in Oxford, a lot of tourists, a lot of European tourists, a lot of North American tourists, fewer Asian tourists, I would say, although I'm not sure whether that is just down to the seasonality that more Asian tourists would, would come into uh, the UK during the, the summer school holidays. I also spent a bit of time in Belgium, the same case there, Brussels, Bruges, Ghent, very, very busy. It's early tourism season, really. You know, the, the, the main summer tourism season doesn't really kick off until mid-June, but it's very, very busy already. Again, a lot of European travellers, a lot of North American travellers. It looks as though everybody is talking in, in Europe at the moment of a very, very bumper summer. Maybe over-tourism is coming back. You look at the capacity markets, the top 10 capacity markets for air travel in the world at the moment. The UK is at number four in order, US, China and India. It shows you the state of the, the recovery in the UK. Uh, Spain, Italy and Germany are also in the top 10. So, you know, there is, there's a huge amount of flying going on. Flight prices are higher to some destinations. Uh, some of the low-cost carriers are discounting to other destinations. It's a real mixed bag at the moment. But, yeah, the positivity is certain. there. travel is definitely back there. It's not really a case of when and how the scale and the speed will come back. It, it's happening right now. That's nice to hear. And I think, you know, what was interesting, you were just talking there about manpower issues, about expensive airfares as well. And, you know, I I think these are the two common themes that we have seen coming up in Southeast Asia during May. Clearly, it's affecting Europe as well. And so 
perhaps extrapolate i think it's a worldwide issue that we're facing now in tourism is is really manpower and you know this is going to be one of the most limiting factors for travel recovery isn't it I think it is. And I think you, you speak to aviation analysts and not expecting prices to come down anytime soon, particularly not for the summer with demand so high. And also, as you, you mentioned earlier, Hannah, with airline variable costs still still high and, and jet fuel price demand, we don't really know how high, how high jet fuel could go in the next few months. So yeah, there, there, are, there are a lot of impacts that, that's going to that go into the, the setting of flight prices and demand in our region also is one of those, isn't it? If demand isn't as high, the prices... Um, it, it's difficult to, to, for airlines to run flights that are going to be half or, or a third empty. Difficult times ahead, I think. But, yeah, you know, this isn't something that was un, uh, unprepared for. Airlines knew what they were, they were facing and, and the, the issues of the recovery. Um, it's now down to how they, they manage to cope and, and bring back demand to, to sustainable levels. Yeah, and Gary, you follow, you know, Northeast Asia a lot more closely than I do. You know, we, we've seen these news stories that they're, easing restrictions and starting to reopen either for inbound or for, for outbound. How is that going to help the Southeast Asian tourism industry over the next few months? Well, as you mentioned, when we were talking about Vietnam and, and, Fiet- and Philippines as well, you know, Korea, South Korea and Japan, very, very important inbound markets for those two, two countries. But, you know, Japan and South Korea are also big destinations for Southeast Asian travelers. You know, there are a lot of people I know here in Malaysia are waiting to get to, to South Korea or to Japan. We were mentioning also Thailand, you know, that, that, that there is that bubble building of people that want to go to Japan. Looking at the way that they're reopening, it's, it's very slow. It's very cautious. It's, Japan in particular is only looking at travel tour groups to begin with, uh, with no real indication of when uh, independent travels will be able to come back. Obviously, the, the big block on the whole region is China. There's just no indication that that's going to open anytime soon. Second-guessing China, always very, very difficult. But looking at the the issues it's having in some of its bigger cities, particularly Shanghai, Beijing, and now Tianjin, uh, mass testing is, being, is, is happening there on a very, very regular basis. Uh, it's very, very difficult to see how they move away from zero COVID in the near future and unlock um, you know, that air uh, transport system in and out of China, inbound as well as outbound, and also domestically. The, the interesting thing about China at the moment, there's a lot of domestic travel in the lower tier cities. You tend to hear that the whole um, economy is locked down, but in the lower tier cities, there is movement, there is, a, there is travel happening. Um, but obviously, people can't go into the big destinations like Shanghai and Beijing. So it's very, very skewed. It's very, very imbalanced at the moment. And, and recalibrating that balance is going to be very, very difficult for China. Um, but yeah, I guess the optimism is certainly South Korea and Japan, and just to see the speed that they reopen. There's a lot of uh, media reports from that Korean tourists want to travel. They want to go outbound again, particularly looking at Europe and the US, but also into some of the Southeast Asian destinations. But they're having the same issues that we talked about just a couple of minutes ago, flight prices from Korea this year are higher than they were 12 months ago, when, as we remember, South Korea was probably the most vibrant outbound market from, from Asia Pacific. So there's going to be that price impact for sure. So there we have it. Uh, a mixed month, I think we can say, May. So overall, it, it's definitely picking up momentum. But as we like to say, economic headwinds, other headwinds are, are still hitting the recovery that we, we've still got to kind of keep in mind. Yeah, I would agree. Um, and then we'll look at what, what June brings. You know, June will bring to, to an end the first half of the year. And then, you know, as, as you said at the start of the show, Hannah, we're looking forward to that much talked about second half of the year and the potential recovery, hopefully the upward curves for all the countries in the region. And let's see what that brings. 
um, and, and just see over the next month what developments are made in terms of airline capacity, rebuilding demand, rebuilding you know, travel sentiment and travel confidence. I guess that's going to be a very, very important part of March and getting bookings up as well, trying to encourage more bookings. Um, you know, those are the issues that the travel industry is good at and that's, that's their job. So let's hope they can, they can manage that. Good. Well, that brings us to the end of today's show. We hope you enjoyed the podcast and don't forget to send us your thoughts on the travel outlook for the rest of 2022. You can drop us a message on our LinkedIn page at the Southeast Asia Travel Show. Yep. Meanwhile, you can catch up with the Southeast Asia Travel Show's full back catalogue on our website, the seasiatravelshow.com. And of course, you can listen to every episode, including this one, on all the various international podcast platforms. Just search for the Southeast Asia Travel Show on each one. And please do remember, if you tune in via Spotify or Apple Podcasts, if you could give us a quick rating and a review, that will help other people to find the show. So that's a wrap for today. And we'll both return next week to talk more travel and tourism in Southeast Asia. We look forward to seeing you then. Bye.